Thanks for checking out the Renew Life Church podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope that today's message encourages you. How's everybody doing this morning? Awesome. Let's go ahead and give all of our first-time guests a round of applause. We're so glad you're with us today. My name is Braden. I'm the senior pastor here. We're super thrilled that you're here with us uh, today. We're actually in the middle of a series. Today is part four, if I'm right. Is that right? This is today part four? Part four. Part four of a series we call Family Tune-Up. It's actually the only series in the history of this church that we've actually, actually ever repeated. Uh, this is the third or fourth time we've actually done this series. Uh, it just means a lot to us, and I think even more so given um, uh, some recent things I've heard just some, some men of God, if you will, say, to, say via podcast what I felt like to me. Uh, I've heard them say lately that there's the, the church and church leadership has been notorious for answering questions that nobody's asking. Uh, and then we make ourselves feel better by saying, well, they should be asking those questions. Uh, and I think for us, this family tune-up doing this series is just kind of our way of helping answer some of the questions that we believe that you have when it comes to counseling at the church. Most questions, most counseling revolves around marriage, parenting, and finances. And so uh, that's what this series is about today is week two on parenting. We're going to continue that conversation uh, today. But can I just go ahead and say, and, and along with all the other parent, parents in here, Parenting's not easy, right? <laughs> Parenting can be tough. There's some, there's some curveballs, there's some challenges, there's some things that happen uh, as parents, especially, and, and bear with me, women, when I'm, before what I'm about to say, it's, I think it's particularly harder for the guys at times because we don't know what we're doing like you know what you're doing. Uh, I, I'll never forget when I learned this the most was when I, we'd had our first kid, uh, Susanna. She was about a year and a half, two years old, and I was going to take a trip from Amarillo, Texas to Midland, Texas with just me and the child. How many of you guys know lots of prayer needed for that one? Um, so Leanne had kind of told me everything to do and packed uh, enough baby wipes for 400 kids, and, uh, which thank God because you'll find out why in a minute. But we, so we're, we're on our trip, and, and I'm, so we're going down the road, and... Um, it's, I actually feel like we're doing pretty good. She's quiet. I'm listening to my podcast. I'm like, I'm killing this. This is easy, you know. And all of a sudden, it just gets a little too quiet. How many of you guys know when they're about a year and a half, two years old, too quiet is not good. Uh, and it just gets a little too quiet. And all of a sudden, I hear this, eh, eh, And I adjust the mirror in the back to turn around to see that my about two-year-old had two handfuls of her own poop in her hands. And she had chosen this trip to do it for the first time, so I hadn't even got a chance to watch someone that knew how to handle this do it. And so uh, I, I'm like, oh, my God. So we, we, pull over the, we pull over, and, I mean, just poop everywhere. Like, uh, I, I, and I just take her out, and she's got it everywhere. And I, I put her in the back of my truck, actually. I set her in the toolbox, or, or the, not the toolbox, not the toolbox. I didn't put her in the toolbox. <laughs> I put her in the bed of the truck, and I somehow, and I didn't even know this until after I put her back there, I went and I was trying to clean things up, and I get back in a minute, and there's just little poop footprints all around, and I'm like, how did you get it on your foot? Like, how did we do this? And so, I, after, like I said, I think I used almost every single baby wipe uh, that, I was, that I was given. I covered the car seat with a blanket, put her in it, wrapped her up, drove straight. We were, I was about almost to love it. Went to love it, bought a new car seat, threw that one away, because I'm just not going to clean that stuff. Just made my mind. <laughs> Sometimes you just got to draw a line somewhere. And, uh, 
So, yeah, and it, and it doesn't seem to stop kids throwing you curveballs. Just the other night, I was at home. I'd gotten home by myself, and uh, I'd, I'd had a spicy chicken deluxe sandwich. Come on, somebody. Chick-fil-A, you know that's God's place. And so, uh, <laughs> closed on Sundays. <laughs> it's like if they were real Christians, they would open on Sundays for us. But anyway, so I, I get a Chick-fil-A sandwich, and one of my favorite parts of the, the spicy chicken deluxe sandwich is the little crunchy crunchy pieces on the chicken on the outside. Come on, somebody, the crunchies. You can't let the crunchies go to waste. So I take a bite of my sandwich. I'm at the coffee table in our living room watching TV. I'm, I'm eating my uh, sandwich, and I, a crunchy, I can tell it crunched, and it fell off on the, on the coffee table. You can't let a crunchy go to waste. So I, I reach where I was fairly confident. Now it's dark. I'm kind of dark. I only got a lamp on, watching ESPN. So I, I go for the crunchy. I take the crunchy without inspecting this crunchy, and I just chunk it in my mouth. And it just took about one millisecond to realize, mm, not a crunchy. <laughs> and so I, I spit it out into my hand and look, and it is no other than a pink toenail. <laughs> and here's the best part. At first, I blame Leanne. I'm like, Leanne! Why would you put your toenails on the, cat, on the table? And she goes, first of all, I didn't do it. Second of all, why did you eat something you didn't look at first? It was supposed to be a crunchy. <laughs> anyway, never got to the bottom of whose pink toenail I munched on. Oh. <laughs> Parenting is, is, is fun, but I... Uh, and, and I'll just say this. I, I think more than importantly, we're going to talk about some things today. We talked about some things last week. And I, I just think it's very important that before you go into this, and I didn't do this in the first service, but I feel like I'm supposed to today, just please understand something. There's no such thing as a perfect parent. There's no such thing as a perfect parent. And even if you're sitting in here today and you learn some things that maybe you could be doing better, uh, there's still no such thing as a perfect parent. And I just think it's important that as we go into some of the teaching today, that we just remember that once you are hidden in Christ, even poor parenting is under the blood of Jesus. And even poor parenting. And if you hear some things today, if you heard some things last week where you're like, oh my gosh, I'm really missing the mark. Guess what? Jesus' blood paid for that as well. And his, his, Jesus' blood paid for you, your parenting, and your child. We must remember they were his kids before they were our kids. And, and he's got their destiny in his hands, and there's redemption possible. I don't care if your kid is 2, 22, or 102. There's redemption. And so uh, I, I just believe that with all of my heart. So don't take anything, like I said, don't, don't allow anything that we talk about today to bring any guilt, shame, condemnation to you. That stuff's under the blood. So I feel like I should, I should say that before we get going. Last week, we introduced a Bible character that probably needed no introduction. Uh, we talked about David, the, the great David, the great, the great Goliath killer David, King David. And the Bible said of David that David was a man after God's heart. He was a man after God's own heart. In fact, there were other kings that did some things that they shouldn't have done, and somehow, for some reason, God said they were no longer fit to be king in their mistakes. Yet David, although he made a bunch of mistakes, he was a great king, but made a bunch of mistakes, God never removed him from the position of king because God said of David, he's still a man that's after my heart. And so there are so many things about David's life that we can look at and go, okay, that's what it looks like to be a man after God's heart. In some other areas, David was not so hot. Uh, we know some of the story about David uh, and Bathsheba and how he, how he hooked up with Bathsheba and he has a son and then when he realizes she's pregnant, he has her husband murdered and there's all this stuff that goes on. But I would say, 
probably the, the, the greatest failure, if you will, of David's life. The, the, the Holy Spirit saw fit to put this in here to help us see what we need to do better at. Probably the greatest failure in David's life was his parenting skills. The Bible said of David, he was not a very good parent. David had two different sons that tried to murder him and overthrow him. He had one son murder his brother, and he murdered his brother because that brother raped his sister. How many of you guys know that's a little bit of Moripovich right there? I mean, that's some dysfunction. And so there was a lot of dysfunction in David's home. Why? Why? How can a man after God's heart have so much dysfunction in the home? Well, we read this last week that the Bible said of David that he never disciplined his children, not even by asking them, what in the world are you thinking? Anybody else, that's your favorite phrase to your kids? What, what, were you, what in the world were you thinking? Uh, David never questioned his kids. He never disciplined his kids. He didn't, although he was in pursuit of God, he did not discipline his kids. And so I want to talk about some of that today by starting with what should be and can be a very basic element of discipline when it comes to parenting and, and biblical parenting is what, what does biblical discipline look like? What does biblical discipline look like? We find in Proverbs chapter 22, Starting in verse 15, it says, Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. This first part of the scripture makes all of us feel better. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. If your kid acts like a fool sometimes, don't worry, it's perfectly normal. They all have got it in there. I don't care what the color of your skin is, how much money you make or don't make, or whether you're a preacher, a pastor, or whatever. Every single child is born with foolishness bound up in their heart. But the second part tells us the, the very thing, the specific thing, if you will, that, that, that gets it out. It says, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. So I, and I'm not going to harp on some of this too long, but um, I'm not saying time out couldn't help, but it's just not biblical. No amens, all right? I'm not saying it can't help. That's neither here nor there, really. I'm just reading what the Scripture says. The Scripture says that foolishness is in there, and there is one thing that not might or could possibly. It says it shall drive it far from them. I can't tell you how many parents I've had tell me this. They say, well, we tried spanking, and it just doesn't work for my kid. For spanking not to work for your kid, the Bible has to be a lie. Let that marinate for just a second. For spanking not to work, the Bible has to be a lie. Now, I'll give you a couple things right here that, that might make it look like spanking is not working for your child. Number one, consistency. The whole phrase, we tried that one time, it didn't work. Let me just tell you this, if I'd only spanked my kids one time, it would not have worked either. If I had simply tried it, no more than if I had tried, oh, I tithed one week, and that week my washing machine broke, so I quit tithing. I tried, I tried uh, you know, laying my life down for my wife, but then she went out and spent a thousand bucks on the credit card, so I'm not doing that no more. Now, you don't, you don't try Scripture. You commit to Scripture, and you trust that no matter what your experience is trying to convince you, that it is truth. It is more truth than your experience is truth. So if the Bible says that, this, that the rod of correction will drive it far from your child, I have to be consistent, which means if I say, if you go, if you touch that, we've all done this, and myself included, we've made this mistake. If you touch that, you're getting a spanking. 
and then they touch it. And then what do we do? I told you. If you one more again, just one more again. If 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 when they do what we ask them not to do, if we're not consistent every single time they touch it, they get a spanking. They touch it, they get a spanking. They lie, they get a spanking. If we're not consistent in those things, and they they don't learn at that, especially at a young age, they don't know how to associate poor decision equals pain. Rebelling against mom and dad's authority equals pain. It has to be consistent. The second thing that can't you can't this might make you think it's not working is physical discipline should never be done in anger. We're not spanking our kids because we're mad at them. We're spanking our kids because the Bible says to. And I'll just go so far as to say this, because I'll just tell you, we've all done it in anger. <laughs> we've, we've all done that. <clears throat> but if we don't learn to do it by faith in the Scriptures instead of by reaction to the anger, it won't have a scriptural result. I'm, I, I, this morning, as I was kind of having to rehash some of this with, with, and think about it again, because I'm my oldest, it's been, a, it's been a while since she's had a spanking, and I, I'll just be honest with you, that I remembered the last time she actually got a spanking, and I remember that I was, I was sick to my stomach. I was calm about it. No one wants to give their kids a spanking. That's not what it's about. In fact, if you do, then you have some issues. It's not about doing it in an anger or a reaction out of anger. It's about a confidence in the word. Lord, I don't want to do this, but your word says. It doesn't seem like they're even responding, but your word says. Dr. Phil says, but your word says. It doesn't matter what anybody says. It doesn't matter what your friends have. You know what? We've tried this new method, and it's just called continual eye contact. seen great results with little Johnny with just continual eye contact. Again, not scripture. I'm doing this because it's what the scripture says works. So we do it consistently. We don't do, we never do it out of we never do it out of anger. And I'll tell you another one, never, and I don't think I added this one in the first service. Never discipline a mistake, only discipline rebellion. If your kid is just being a kid and playing and runs by the table and bumps the table and spills your drink, I've watched it far too many times, adults who don't have their flesh under control lose their mind and the kid gets in trouble for a mistake and therefore starts to see authority as having no grace for them when they're trying to be a kid and yet they make a mistake. I remind you of a scripture that it's childlike faith that God's looking for. Childlike faith that's willing to go for things. Well, guess what? Sometimes when you're going for things, you make mistakes. And if your kid's just being a kid and every little mistake, you're harping on every single little mistake that they make and you're disciplining mistakes, you're squelching the life out of your child. So don't discipline out of anger. I forget what all of them were now. Don't discipline out of anger. Do it consistently. And don't discipline mistakes. Just discipline rebellion. Again, not the, the number one thing I wanted to focus on. But last week, I think I, I even said this. Hey, we all know what the right Bible says about discipline. And then I had that thought. Well, maybe we don't. So maybe we should read a little bit about it. So uh, the right of correction, it works every time.
to me, the greater question when it comes to disciplining your kid, once you've established what the Bible says about it, it's not what or how, what you should use or how you should discipline your kid. It's when. We touched on this some last week. It's, it's when. It's, it's when your kid's crying, and I mean, it's just this crazy loud cry, and it's understanding, is something wrong with their kid? Are they sick? Are they hurting? Is something actually wrong? Or are they being rebellious and throwing a fit? Anybody else ever been there? You're listening to that cry, and you're like, I'm about 50-50 right here right now as to what this thing is that you're screaming. It's that knower. It's that thing on the inside that tells you, is this rebellion or is this a mistake? Is this an attitude problem or is this, you know, my, my, my kid's not feeling well? Learning to, to, to discern when is the right time to bring biblical discipline. We read the scripture last week. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 14 says this. But solid food is for the mature. So he's talking about mature people who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Solid food is for the mature who by constant use, constant, constant use, have trained themselves to distinguish the difference between right and wrong, good and evil. This is why we said last week, a, a, a child reaching their God-given potential begins with a parent pursuing theirs. If you're not pursuing God's plan for your life and staying engaged spiritually and growing spiritually and developing spiritually and sharpening yourself spiritually, you're not going to know how to distinguish good from evil, right from wrong. Well, if you yourself don't know, how are you going to correct your kid when, they're, when you don't know, I'm not sure if that's a fit or if they're sick. You won't know when to discipline your kid because you haven't been sharpening your senses. You haven't been sharpening your skills. The Bible says for the mature. This is, this is solid food. Solid food is for the mature. Mature people are constantly using and stretching and exercising and challenging their spiritual senses to get sharper, to get better. This doesn't just mean reading your Bible. I, I think I'm on this kick. I know Josh likes to talk about it a lot. But one of the number one ways you sharpen your spiritual senses is with spiritual community. Spiritual community, doing life with people. The Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, so one friend sharpens another. There has to be uh, intentional time. That's why we do life groups. It's not just so we can have something else going on during the week because we don't want to have a Wednesday night service. Although we don't want to have a Wednesday night service. That's not why we do it. It's because we believe in godly relationships, doing community together. The sharpening that happens when you get yourself around other people, get yourself around those people, assume that there's God in them, there's God in you. They think different than I do, so there must be something. Maybe God thinks different than I do. They seem to respond to this situation different than I would respond to this situation. Well, maybe God responds to that situation different than you would respond to that situation. There's so much about God that you learn when you, when you come to realize, first of all, that inside every single person is something uniquely them, but perfectly God, and only in community do you get to see who God is. So it's, it's committing to those things that sharpen you spiritually. Why? So that when your kid does something, you'll know, should I discipline this, or was this just a mistake, and does this deserve a small conversation? We have to know. We have to be stretching and exercising uh, our spiritual senses. I want to start with this phrase this week on some new stuff. This is the way the Lord kind of presented it to me. We have to parent our kids the way the Heavenly Father parents us. We have to parent our kids the way the Heavenly Father parents us. So you might say, well, there's not a ton of scriptures specifically about parenting in the Bible. There's 
Almost every scripture in the Bible is about parenting, how our heavenly father deals with us. So if we're preparing our children for a relationship with the heavenly father, then we have to, tr- we have to handle them, deal with them, talk to them, discipline them the same way he disciplines us so that we're preparing them for a relationship with him. Any scripture in the Bible now has become relevant to parenting. And here's what I love, 3 John 2. This is one of the, and this is kind of our focus for today. 3 John 2, this is what our Heavenly Father thinks, feels, and prays about us. Go ahead and pull that scripture up. Check this out. Beloved, I pray that in every way you may prosper and enjoy good health, even as your soul also prospers. So here's what our Heavenly Father is saying to us. I want everything about you. I want, I want you to prosper in every area of your life. In every way, I want you to be prosperous. In every way, I want you to be healthy, especially even as your soul prospers. Now, to understand this, you have to understand that we're a three-part being. We are spirit, we are soul, and we are body. We are a spirit, we have a soul, and we live in a body. And God says, I want all three of those things prosperous. I want all three of those things healthy. So if our Heavenly Father wants us to be spiritually healthy, then as parents, we, our first desire, notice it's mentioned first, our first desire should be that our children are spiritually healthy. Not that they get to go to be involved in as many sports teams as they possibly can by the age of six. Not to make sure that they get to go on vacations that you never got to as a, as a kid or to live in a bigger house than you did as a kid. All of those things are okay. It's okay to prosper in those things. I want my kids to have those things as well. But before they have those things, I want them to prosper spiritually, which tells me that my first priority as a parent is to point my child towards Jesus. If that is the most important thing, if that is where eternity is decided, is in the realm of the Spirit, then it is most important that above all else, my kid knows Jesus comes first. Now, let me just say this again. This is not to bring guilt, shame, and condemnation. This is to help you. If the only time your child is getting Jesus is at church, you're missing the mark. I've had people tell me this. I shared this last week. Like, man, I really want my, you know, me and my wife, we don't really have time for for church because, you know, we've got this and that and the other. I've actually had this said to me, which as a pastor was odd. He's like, ah, we really don't have time for church, but we want our kids there. So, because we want them raised in it. And That's like a cook that won't eat their own food. Like they're in the kitchen and they come out like, oh, you want to buy it? Oh, no, I'm not eating that stuff. Why am I eating it? You know? No, that, that means as a, as a husband, as a wife, as a married couple, as a family, even if you're divorced or separated, as an individual parent, if that's the position that you're in, you can succeed. And I know it, it's incredibly tough when there's that kind of dynamic in the home. You have a single mom or a single dad. But I'll just say this, you will succeed if you get the first things first. And the right things first. And first and foremost, your job is to make sure that they are spiritually successful. That you point them towards Jesus. That you point them towards grace. That you point them towards the gospel. That they understand that no matter what, there's somebody that loves them. There's somebody that loves them. There's a a man named Jesus that died so that they didn't have to put up with pain on this earth. And they had a promise of eternity in heaven. Point your kids towards Jesus. But the second thing is, as the scripture in 3 John 2 tells us, Our Heavenly Father cares about our soul, our mind, our will, and our emotions. Therefore, as parents, we have to parent the mind, the will, and the emotions of our children. Now, 
the mind is a tricky thing, and, and what I have, first of all, atmosphere influences the mind more than anything. So the atmosphere you create for your kid is going to influence the way that they think. The, the way they see you act, the way they see other people act, it, it influences their thoughts. So atmosphere is a big area when it comes to thinking. But I will say this, something I've learned. If I don't parent the soul and the will of my child while building trust, my child will never let give me access to what they're thinking. The, the, the will I can see, I can see the decisions that they're making. The emotions I can see, I can see how they're acting. I cannot see what they're thinking. And the most dangerous part of, of, of parenting is how do you parent what you cannot see? That is why you have to have a relationship with your kids. That is why when your kid comes to you, you cannot freak out when they tell the truth. I've had this conversation with my, with my daughter uh, I, I did not do well early on when we first started navigating the whole crush thing and boy-girl thing. I just did not do well. In fact, if you were to go back far enough on some audio recordings, I did say this. I semi-regret saying this, but I did say one time to the church that I was pastoring at the time, if your kid shows up to ask my daughter to homecoming, they might get sent home in a pine box. I regret saying that. I got done, and Leanne looks at me, and she goes, you can't say pine box, sending kids home in pine box from the platform. She was probably right. But I, I'm just being honest with you. I didn't navigate early on in my relationship with my daughter. I didn't navigate that well. And what I realized was that there were, because of the way I responded when that issue came up, there were certain things she would not tell me that she would tell my wife. And I just realized I just because of my issues and my fear, because that's what it is, my fear, I had shut off the mind of, I, I had lost the access to parent the mind of my daughter because of the way that I was acting. And there were certain things she wouldn't even tell me. So I repented and I, did, I got her alone. We took a little ride and I said, hey, we need to talk. I said, um, as you well know, I threatened to send some boys home in a pine box the other day. And I have not done well as your father in making this a safe place and me being a safe place for you to talk about things that are not comfortable. And I asked her if she would forgive me for not representing our Heavenly Father well. Because you can come to our heaven, your Heavenly Father with anything. So therefore, if you can go to our Heavenly Father with anything, no matter how uncomfortable it may feel, I have to be a father that you can come to with anything. Or I have lost, because of my own fear and my own issue, I have lost the ability to parent the mind of my daughter. But the other two, those are easy, honestly. We parent the will and we parent the emotions. In other words, when our kid makes a decision that they should not make, we have to bring correction. When our kid is emotional in a way that they should not be, we have to bring correction. I didn't get a chance to go this far in the first service because I got a clock that tells me when I'm supposed to be done. But I ain't got a third service, so y'all getting three hours of it. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. <laughs> now, now I've lost my focus now. When it, when it comes to, the, to emotions and will, we can see these things. So if I'm, not, if I'm not diligent in parenting what I can see when they make a poor decision, when they, when they emote in a wrong way, because I think we've done a, 
a, de- a better job, I should say, when it comes to parenting decisions. I don't think we've done a good job in the realm, as, especially as Christians, setting the standard for what it's supposed to look like. We have not done a good job parenting the emotions. Poor emotions. Let me, let me just say this. Poor emotions. I can't tell you how many devastating adult decisions are made because adults don't know how to control their emotions. Divorce. So many times divorce is a byproduct of two adults that don't know how to work through emotions. When the husband doesn't feel respected and the wife doesn't feel loved, but, which are necessities within a marriage. But when they don't know how to navigate through some things emotionally, they make decisions on certain things that are consequential because they couldn't work through the emotion of the matter. We've got teenagers more than ever killing themselves, committing suicide because they were bullied or someone broke up up with them and someone said something ugly about them on Facebook. And Again, should we be bullying? No. Should kids be talking ugly about each other on Facebook or whatever? No, but kids are mean. Some kids are mean, and some kids don't know what they should and shouldn't be doing. But I'll tell you what, I don't want someone else's issue paired with my kids' inability to, to, to handle emotions correctly cause them to make a mistake that they'll literally not live to regret. What is it? Not parenting the emotions. You know where that starts? When a kid's flopping in the grocery store because they didn't get a Snicker bar. We have to parent the emotions of our kids, and then I'll, and we're fixing to come back to this, but I'll just, I want to touch on one more thing since we're talking about the, the, the spirit, soul, and body. Did you know you're also required, if you're going to do it God's way, you're asked to parent your kid's physical body? United States of America is probably the most obese country in the world. Now, hear my heart here. Does God love your child no matter what they look like? Yes. Is our culture too focused on certain things looking a certain way and certain things being high enough and big enough and skinny enough and yes but if you allow your kid to come into the pantry any day at any time of day and crush 12 Twinkies and four zebra cakes although that sounds delicious right now are you setting them up for physical issues when they get older yes so parenting even involves what you're, I'm not telling you make your kid feel something not less than or not loved because they don't have the physical makeup of some, that's not the point, and I hope you hear my heart in this. But it is my job from an early age to train my kids in the area of physical discipline as well. Why? So they can enjoy life. So that they're not obese, so that they don't have heart issues, so they don't have heart disease, so they don't have diabetes. It's just a natural thing. And sometimes, it just the, I, I'm so thankful for my wife because this is an area that I haven't, I haven't done as a good a job at as she has. But I, ha, I have daughters now that when we go to restaurants, they don't even think to ask us if they can have a second Coke after they drank the first one because we've established rules. First of all, they'll typically order water, but the times that they don't, they'll order one Coke. The waiter can literally bring them a second one, and I've watched this happen with my six-year-old. Six-year-old say, oh, I'm sorry, ma'am. I can only have one Coke. Can you take this back and bring me water? I didn't have to tell him that, but we set a standard, even in something as small as that, where we say, hey, let's, this is not healthy. This is not going to be good for you. You don't need 13 Dr. Peppers. It's just not, it's just not good. So I, I just, I'm going to leave that one there. That one got a little 
quiet. I want to I want to laser focus in on the emotions in the. Am I already? I'm not over time. Turn that clock off. Um, just joking. I want to talk about the emotions for just a second as we close and just ask this question. Is the attitude in which your child obeys just as important as the obedience itself? Talk about the emotions, the emotional state they're in when they obey. Is it just as important? Psalms 37, 4 tells us this. Delight yourself in the Lord. Now, we, if you were in a part of our garden series, you, you heard us talk about this. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now let's break it into two parts. Delight yourself in the Lord. Notice there's an attitude or an emotion before there's a command. Delight yourself in the Lordship of God. In other words, be happy, be full of joy, be full of excitement. All emotions, all issues in the soul. Be happy about the fact that he's the boss. How many of you guys know this? He is Lord. Jesus is Lord. But did you know just making him Lord isn't enough? He says, I, don't just make me Lord kicking and screaming. Be happy. Be joyful. Be excited that I am the Lord. Now to ask yourself, if, if we're supposed to parent our kids the way he's parenting us, does that not tell me that it's not just about if my kid obeys, it's what is the attitude in which they obey? Hey, uh, little Johnny, I need you to go clean your room. I want to finish my video game. No, I need you to clean your room. Now, the room might get clean, but is the room getting clean the issue? No, it's not the issue. Talking to your kid on the phone, I, this is the one that, well, this one gets me. First of all, it's just funny watching parents negotiate with their kids via cell phone. That one's comical. But you're on the phone with your with your kid, and you're telling them, hey, I need you. Uh, I know you have this thing going, but I need you to leave early from your little get-together. I need you to go pick your little brother up. Oh, my God, why am I doing that? You're the parent. It's my car. Get slapped. No, sorry, don't do that. Uh, <laughs> and, and we go... <laughs> teenagers maybe maybe it's something in teenagers deal with more but did you stop parenting when they became teenagers are you so if, if that's their attitude when you give them instruction do you see them delight themselves in the lordship of mom and dad in the home do they have a good attitude about you making their car payment their insurance payment putting a roof over their head peanut butter and jellies and ramen noodles in the microwave What is their attitude behind you giving them instruction? And here's the thing. Delight yourself in the Lord. Then, then, after that, after, way, way after that, we get the desires of our heart. Your job is to watch the attitude in which your kid obeys you. First of all, they need to obey. If they don't obey, they get a spanking. If they obey with the wrong attitude, they get a spanking. And until both of those things, and when both of those things line up, we've got obedience and we've got a good attitude. You know what happens? You as a parent have to do the same thing your heavenly father does to you. Now that your desires are starting to line up with my desires, you're free to live from desire. What do you want to do? 
But when we give into our kids' poor emotions and poor decisions before there's been a change of attitude, just because we don't want to have to deal with it in the grocery store, they throw the fit, they smart off, they cop an attitude, and we just don't want to deal it right with, with it at the moment, so we just give them what, we want, what they want, we're giving them the desires of their heart before they've submitted to the lordship of their parents. You are literally parenting them away from God when you do that. If your kids are getting what they want just so they'll shut up and stop screaming and stop fighting with their brothers, if, if they just get what they want, if they, insert little small thing, distraction is not a means of parenting. Distraction is not a means of discipline. In other words, your kid doesn't act like they're supposed to act, so let's just distract them and give them something else. And, oh, you don't like the Xbox? What about the the Game Boy? Oh, not the Game Boy? And we're constantly feeding our kid to find out what their desire is before they've ever submitted their attitude to the lordship of the parents. When and only when there's an attitude, heart change towards your instructions, towards your rules, if you will, do they ever get to live from a place of desire? And desire is where we were called to live from. Go back to the garden. One rule, bunch of desires. Only one of the trees could they not eat from. Other than that, eat, which, eat from whichever one you desire. But you got to make sure that the Lordship's first. And you know what that, keeping that Lordship, uh, keeping that tree, you know what that actually, what it's talking about there, what it's addressing? Do you trust me? When I tell you that you need to do this, when I tell you that you need to brush your teeth, I don't want to brush my teeth. I brushed them three days ago. Now you know they need to brush their teeth. The breast's kicking, and the teeth are going to rot out. And you're paying for braces. So, yeah, we, we know that. They may not know that. They may not understand why it's so important to brush their teeth. But when they, with a good attitude, when you say, hey, go brush your teeth, they don't stomp in there. They don't give it the two-second finger swap. I did, boys. No, when they go in and they brush their teeth with no attitude, you know what they're saying? I don't know why i got to brush my teeth, but I trust mom and dad. I trust them. You're training them in faith. You're training them to follow something that they cannot see, trusting the person not what they can understand. That's all God wanted Adam and Eve to do. It said that the tree, that, and this is a, the tricky one. It says that the fruit that was on the tree of knowledge of good and evil, it was delicious looking. It probably even smelled good. So they literally had to go away from everything that their natural senses could tell them to say, hmm, looks good, smells good, and I dang sure want some, but I trust him more than I trust my own desires. Trust me. When your kid's 13, 14, 15, 16 years old, and you say you shouldn't be sleeping with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, you're going to want them to trust you more than their desires. Because the desire that they have to sleep with their boyfriend or girlfriend is much more than the desire to take a bite of a pear. You have to trust, they have to trust you that even if everything in them is screaming, this will be awesome that something in them says, as much as I believe that this would be awesome, as much as I see it in the movies and my friends that are doing it tell me it's awesome, my, heavenly, my parents first and this, this Bible and my Heavenly Father say it's best for me to wait till I'm married. 
If you're not training them to push away their desires and have good emotional attitude responses when you tell them something to do, if, you don't, if they don't learn that, when it's just about getting a candy bar, what makes you think they're going to pass that test when it comes to sleeping with their boyfriend or girlfriend? Or drinking at a party or, or whatever else is the, is the thing that actually can produce long, long seasons of hurt and pain and discomfort. Delight yourself in the Lord, then he'll give you the desires of your heart. I'll, I'll, I'll just, we'll, we'll, be, we'll be done here. I'll just end with this. Again, more than anything, if you've heard some things today that you're like, gosh, I, I, I haven't been doing that. Please believe in the redemptive blood of Jesus that if your kid is too 12, 22, that no matter what, if you, maybe you didn't get it right early on, that God can still do a redemptive work in your children. God can still do a redemptive work in your home and that you don't have to carry guilt, shame, or condemnation because you are not the sum total of a, maybe a bad parent. You are the sum total of Jesus Christ because you're covered by the blood of Jesus. And only from that position can you actually ever turn your house around in the first place. Until you know who you are, you can't send your children and take your children and lead your children to where they should go. You are covered by the blood of Jesus. When you ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life, he, it's, it's like he slips between you and God. And from now on, every time God wants to look at you or look at your parenting or see how you're doing, he has to look through the finished work of Jesus. And when you look through the perfect love of Jesus, here's all you see. Looks good to me. Looks good to me. Every mistake, even parenting mistakes, were covered by the blood of Jesus. So just please, with all of my heart, these are some things that this is God's plan for parenting. But his plan for you is first and foremost that you know who you are in Christ and understand the, the significance of the blood of Jesus. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed our podcast today. You can find out more about our ministry at RenewLifeChurch.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Also, our app is available for download so that you can stay up to date. Again, we are so glad you joined us. If you're in the Midland Odessa area, we invite you to come be our guest at one of our services. Have a great day, and we hope to see you soon.